How about something light today? The next time you're looking for a good read and you want to boost your relationship intelligence, you might consider turning to a not so obvious and yet totally obvious place, a romance novel. Along with taking you on a fun journey, there is also a lot to learn about the human heart and desire. In today's episode, we're going to talk about the finer points of what makes a romance novel tick and what lessons you can apply in your life as a result. I just want to remind you first that Relationship Alive is my offering to you so that you can have the best relationships possible. If you're finding the show to be helpful, please consider a donation to ensure that we can continue. Every little bit counts, and you can choose any amount that feels right to you. Just visit neilsatin.com support or text the word support to the number 33444 and follow the instructions. And this week, I would like to thank Dana, Michael, Michelle, Joseph, Ruthanna, Holly, Jenny, Marie, Timothy, Gary, and Karina. Thank you all so much for your generous and in many cases ongoing support of Relationship Alive. Now, if you're looking for some quick ways to make a huge improvement in your relationship communication, then make sure you download my free guide to my top three relationship communication secrets. These three things can help you go from being disconnected and misunderstood especially when you're talking about something challenging, to finding your way back to connection and understanding with your partner. To download the free guide, just visit neilsatin.com slash relate or text the word relate to the number 33444 and follow the instructions. Don't forget that we have a free Facebook group to get support from other people who listen to the Relationship Alive podcast and who are striving to put the principles of conscious relationship into practice. So come join the Relationship Alive community on Facebook. And lastly, for a chance to have your questions answered on an upcoming episode of the podcast, just record yourself asking me the question and email the recording to questions at relationshipalive.com. Okay, that's it. Let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Relationship Alive. This is your host, Neil Satin. What do we know about what drives the human heart? And not just in terms of love and connection, but also in terms of desire. There are any number of ways to approach this question, and I wanted to try something a little bit different in today's episode, because I happen to be good friends with someone who is an author in the romance genre. And I thought, what would be better than to dive in to romance writing and to figure out what that can actually teach us about how we operate? as humans and uh if if there weren't something there it wouldn't sell millions and millions of books every year and so there's there's clearly something there that romance romance writing taps into and so i want to mine it for all it's worth with today's 
guest. Her name is Mara Wells, and she is the author of the new book, Cold Nose, Warm Heart, which is the first novel in the Fur Haven Dog Park series. And uh, I got to say, it was the it's the actually the first bit of fiction that I've read in years because I'm mostly reading nonfiction for uh, this podcast. And I really enjoyed it. it was just such a great escape for me to take a couple days and dive into the the world of Furhaven Dog Park. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll find out a little bit more about what that means. But is as usual, uh, we will have a transcript for today's episode, which you can get if you visit neilsatin.com slash romance. Or you can text the word passion to the number 33444 and follow the instructions. And I think that's it. Let's just dive in. Mara Wells, thank you for joining us today on Relationship Alive. Thank you so much for inviting me, Neil. I really appreciate this opportunity. You're welcome. And as I was talking just a, a moment ago, I had this sudden hesitation like is it okay to call this a romance novel is this a romance novel what you what you wrote it is absolutely a romance novel <laughs> the definition of a romance novel is that you have a guaranteed happily ever after or at least happily for now in the industry the HEA or HFN and if it meets the that criteria the guaranteed happily ever after ending, and that the relationship is the primary focus of the story, it's a romance. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. And I was wondering, because as I was talking to a friend of mine about this interview, uh, I was like, yeah, this, like, it's a romance book. It's got sex and romance and relationship. And, And she was like, well, there are a lot of books that have that. So we were sitting with this puzzle of like, well, what does make it a romance book versus just like a good book that has sex and heart centered interactions and steamy interactions. And so is that the working definition right there or is there more that defines it? Yes. A romance novel has a relationship as the primary focus, a romantic relationship as the primary focus of the story. And then we have a guaranteed happily ever after ending, or at least happily for now. Uh, Within the novel, there's some expansion in the definition. Sometimes we see the happily ever after is guaranteed at the end of a series if we're following one couple through a series. But uh, usually it's contained within the one novel. Got it. Yeah, and and I think part of what fuels fueled me as a reader was I kind of I knew that was going to happen and I was wondering how it was going to play out. So there's maybe a, a bit of a, a beauty in that when you pick up a book like this where it's like, okay, you know that it's going to it's probably going to work out. It's going to work out on some level. You may not know all the twists and turns and discovering those twists and turns is part of what keeps you going. Right. We read for the twists and turns. We read for the journey. And I think I before I was a romance writer, I was a romance reader. And so for me as a reader, there's comfort in knowing what the ending is going to be. And so I'm actually able to enjoy that journey more. Hmm. And to see the ways in which it, it plays out individually for every different couple. Now, I hadn't thought about this at all, but just hearing you say that makes me wonder if 
there's some element of that when you actually meet a person that uh, part of why you can meet someone and within a few seconds you can make kind of a snap decision about whether or not this person is going to be a good person, like a good fit for you romantically. Um, and that's not always true, right? Because we can meet people where we don't necessarily think that and then they surprise us um, because we we get to know them a little better and, and we uncover the things that draw us to them. So it's not true 100% of the time. But I'm thinking back on any number of relationships that I've been in and wondering if that's part of it. Like you meet someone and you're like, oh, something's going to happen with this person. And now let's uncover the twists and turns that get us there. Right. If we think of of story and then also the story of our own lives as being focused on the journey rather than the outcome, because unlike fiction, the outcome in real life isn't guaranteed. Right. But being able to focus on the journey makes that that process enjoyable. Right. Well, in in terms of like the happily ever after or the happily for now ending, I'm not really sure what that means for the genre. Like, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, it's just like the stereotypical, like the movies, they never show you what happens after the people get together. And and that's so much of what we face in our lives is, you know, we live that romantic journey that brings us together with a person. But then then there's the laundry. I can't remember who, who said that. but <laughs> Right. And I think that's actually one of the reasons why series are very popular in the romance genre, uh, because we live in the same world with the characters. So, for example, in my series, book two goes on to follow um, Caleb is the main hero of book one. And he has a brother, Lance, who becomes the hero of book two, and another brother, Knox, who becomes the hero of book three. But Caleb doesn't go away. So in book two, when we're invested in in Lance and Carrie's relationship, um, Caleb and Riley from book one are still around. And we get to see how their life is sort of playing out as they become secondary characters in the series. And I think that's some of the delight of the series experience for readers. And, and actually, I'm experiencing it as a writer now that we do get to see what happens afterwards and who is doing the laundry and, um, <laughs> and how are they balancing all of the, the challenges that they had as a couple to get together? Did they actually work, come up with a working solution so they can stay together? And of course the answer in romance is they did. <laughs> <laughs> but you get to see that in an yes. ongoing way in which it, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So you get to check in with them and, um, you know, who's pregnant now and now what's happening and, you know, get to see the in my series, you get to see the dogs again and you get to see that that happily ever after is really actually happening. Yeah. Wow. Now I really want to read book two. I love how in Cold Nose, Warm Heart, I love how the dogs play a role, like from the very beginning. Right. There's you've got Caleb who enters this building. And can I can I reveal like a little bit of the yes. intro of the plot? So Absolutely. so yes. Caleb walks into this building and he's on a mission to 
like save the family business or to resurrect the family business because it's gone through this huge upheaval. And and so he walks into this building that his grandfather has potentially offered him and uh, and he's just noticing how it's fallen into disrepair and and there are just all these things wrong. But he's he's also assessing it for its potential as like a an economic engine to revitalize the family business. And, uh, and then at some, like one of the very first things that happens is this cute little poodle runs over to him. So he's like scratching the poodle and he's, and even that is a source of irritation for him because there aren't supposed to be pets in the building, but there's this poodle that's running over to him, but he's, he's good with dogs. Like any good hero would be, I would think. Um, right. The villain kicks the puppy, the hero like scoops him up in his, arms and um and so he's he's cuddling the puppy and at the same time thinking about how he's going to have to fire the building manager this like horrible dude named riley carson who like clearly is not doing his job and then this beautiful woman runs down the hall to to recover her uh, escaped poodle and they get into this bantery conversation and um, in the end I think he he like asks her out for dinner I might be remembering this not quite right but he's like we should get dinner and she's like you don't even know my name and he's like well what's your name and she introduces herself as Riley Carson so and that's where the like the plot just kind of goes from like oh my god for me like how am I going to deal with this? Like I'm reading a romance novel because that's kind of where I started to like, <laughs> oh, my God, what's going to happen? Like like you like I had that initial like, now, how's this going to work out? And right. Um, and she says and she says, and you are. And he says, I'm here to fire you. Right. And so that starts off there. Um, the trope is enemies to lovers. Right. They're on opposite ends. He wants to take the building down and rebuild it as luxury condos. She wants to preserve it and restore its art deco history. Um, both of them can't have their way. How will that, that work out? And it occurred to me when you were describing the book about how he's coming in to assess the building, um, and to think about it, its potential for the future. Isn't that a nice metaphor for relationships as well? Right. (laughs) Right. And with the, the, maybe the, interesting twist of that being with a building there is this sense of like well if i had to i could tear this sucker down and start over if you enter a relationship thinking all right i'm going to tear this sucker down and start over (laughs) it might not be the best start they do that's that's for sure that's for sure but he has to learn that that's not the best way forward there's something beautiful about the history there's something beautiful about the cracks in the terrazzo and the the crumbling facade that's worth saving. Right. Right. And I think one thing that's really lovely about the plot of your book is that they do negotiate that and navigate that really beautifully um, in a way that that makes it feel like change happens pretty organically the way that change does happen in in real life because it's not that people don't change right but but when you want to introduce like wholesale change with a person that's like a recipe for for challenge and disaster um people resent that and so that initial tension i'm here to fire you and i'm gonna tear this whole place down like that's 
that introduces that same level of like conflict and resentment. Well, wait a minute, like that's not okay. Like you can't right. take this place that I love and that I manage and, and, you know, just toss everyone out and like, that's not going to work. Yes. Like I have a, a sort of controlling belief in my own life that you can't change people, but people do change. So the opportunity to change comes and people take it or they don't, but you can't force it on them. I think what's also interesting about the the building as a metaphor is that Caleb is also not wrong. That place is deteriorating. And there's the population, it's a 55 plus building. So they're all senior citizens with the exception of Riley, the building manager. Um, and they're living in a building that the elevator is about to break down, that the plumbing is very inconsistent, that you know, there's a lot of hazards for them living there. So it can't just go on as it is. Right. It is deteriorating. He's not wrong, but she's not wrong either. And for me, that was the fun of the book was how can they both, how can they be on opposite sides and how do they come to understand? Yeah. 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 And yeah, so that makes me start to wonder about like the general principles of ram romance writing and, and how we start extracting even more about what fuels us as humans. Um, and I wonder if you can give us some insight into, into how those problems are so important to the structure of the form of romance writing. Yes. So my, my thinking about romance changed drastically um, a number of years ago when I read a book by Jane Ann Krentz called, uh, oh, of course, my brain just blanked on it, um, Dangerous Men and Adventurous Women. And it's a sort of academic treatise about the romance genre in which she argues that romance is inherently feminist because what it's ultimately arguing for is a balance, a sort of yin-yang balance by the end of the book, that nobody has more power than anybody else in the relationship, in the world that's created in the book, that ultimately all romances, the arc is toward balance and partnership, equal partnership. And I think that's, I think that's a really beautiful way of thinking about it. Mm. Um, <laughs> there are, there are many sort of tropes and, uh, almost inside jokes in romance at this point. And one of them is that the hero has to grovel at some point. He has to be taken down a peg. Um, <laughs> and that doesn't happen again. Anything I say about romance isn't true of every single romance, but there are definitely sort of trends that we see. Um, but again, it's not that he's being taken down. It's often that men do have more power. Um, in, you know, especially in particular societies and time periods that the stories might be happening in. And so it's not that they have to be taken down to be taken down. It's that if we're going to have an equal partnership, right, there has to be an acknowledgement of who has advantages and who doesn't um, and a balancing of power. Hmm. Yeah. 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 That makes, that makes a lot of sense. And how does that stack up for you in terms of like the differentials in power being part of what creates the tension versus wanting to end up at a place that feels more balanced? Mm -hmm. So I think that the driving force in writing romance for me has been that there, there are these disparities between them. There is this unequal balance, you know, Caleb is from a very privileged family. Riley is not, um, you know, something as basic as that, but ultimately they desire each other, right? There's some sort of attraction that they just can't shake. 
And there, there are moments of rejection where it's like, this just can't work. This person is not for me, but it's that desire that brings their attention back to each other over and over again. So not sure what I'm saying there, except uh, perhaps that the logical reasons we might choose to stay or not stay with somebody are overridden in romance by this attraction, this desire, this wanting. And the wanting is for everything that other person is. And often the other person has some aspect of of life that the hero or heroine is lacking. So Caleb has this money, this privilege, um, this utter confidence that anything he does will turn out right. And Riley needs that. But Riley has connection and love and family and Caleb doesn't and he needs that. So the physical attraction is is again, I think, sort of a metaphor for attraction to the missing parts in their own lives. Yeah, and that is super true in in real life, for sure, is that we, we often f- connect with other people who illuminate aspects of ourselves that are underdeveloped or that we really want or need in our own lives. And at the same time, they can highlight the places where we might feel incompatible or like, well, that person, they they don't have strong ties with their family. So how could I be with that person? And I think that represents some core conflicts that people inner inner conflicts that happen in the choice of a partner is uh, navigating that question of like, well, okay, they have these things that I don't have and I want that, or they don't have these things that I do have and that frightens me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And the, the choice to move ahead in the relationship anyway is always a risk because as much as you might long for something that's not in your life, it's also not in your life for a reason, right? Some fear perhaps is holding you back. Some hurt from the past has shut down that part of yourself. And so you can long for it and be afraid of it at the same time. Yeah. So it's attraction and and repulsion can be happening in the same moment. In the same moment. Yeah. 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 And and you see that in the characters in your book, I'm thinking about, um, you know, the way that they're even in this initial scene where they're kind of sussing each other out. And then you also get a glimpse into their, their inner, monologue around like the proximity of their hands on the dog's <laughs> back you know they're both petting the dog and and their their fingers are a mere you know inch apart and and you know how many times has that happened right where where you're you're in that moment of wondering like well what would it be like to just like cross the distance what would it be like to actually follow through on an impulse and and at the same time you know to have all those like inner resistances coming up like well here are all the reasons why i shouldn't do that Mm -hmm. and i think we um in real life we're socialized that certain things are acceptable and not acceptable and in interactions and we navigate our lives very carefully um and i think the promise of romance is that when you reveal who you really are, the, your partner loves you, Mm. that it's unconditional acceptance of the good and the bad. And of course it's the bad that we're hiding for most of the book. (laughs) 
Right. But, <laughs> you know, the, the worst has to come out at some point so that the person can be loved with that as part of the understanding. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Or else it sets you up for a disastrous book, too, of the series. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The new couple can't be getting together while the couple from the first book is breaking up like that. <laughs> that, <laughs> that is not acceptable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just out of curiosity, when would that be acceptable in a, in a romance book for a couple to part ways? Would it ever be acceptable? It w- um, hmm. All that is the type of relationship that happens before the book starts. So we might have heroes or, or heroines who are coming out of a bad relationship or a relationship that wasn't quite right for them. But we don't. Yeah, I'm trying to go through the library in my head. But again, the, the promise of romance is that happily ever after. Right. So even even if a couple does break up over the course of the story, they are going to get back together. Right. Right. So, you know, if you're uh, a a longtime listener of the show, you might understand that that kind of ending, I might feel a little jaded about that at the at the present moment. And Mara, you, I mean, you, you, we've known each other a long time. Um, so you, you, you know that as well. And in fact, that was maybe my hardest, the hardest thing for me in the book as just someone who's been through, uh, a divorce is like appreciating every single aspect of the journey. And then there was something about the happily ever after that I loved. Like it actually brought tears to my eyes as much as I hate to say it, but it did. And at the same time, I was like, damn, like it, you went like all the way there, like in those last couple chapters. And I was like, did it have to? Did it really have to? So, um, but, you know, maybe someone like where where splitting up is slightly less fresh for them would would appreciate that yeah. a little bit more. Right. And the and the other thing is that romance is in many ways a fantasy of what it's a fantasy of equality and equal partnership, right? Mm-hmm. It's not claiming that this is real. It's not saying this is how all relationships work out. It's saying, wouldn't it be beautiful if this is how relationships worked out? Mm-hmm. Isn't this something to aspire to? Yeah. Yeah. So there's that, that danger, I suppose, in like, like there's the way that it can fuel us that that ideal and i think that vision is such an important aspect of how we construct our relationships holding on to an ideal vision mm-hmm. um and at the same time um being willing to accept imperfection as part of real life versus what happens in a in a fantasy novel right yeah yeah, it's a it's a tough balance, but the beauty I guess of a book is that you can you can preserve the you can preserve the fantasy of where romance takes us, which right. is and the, Yeah. You know, the first step of change in the real world is imagining that change can happen. And so I think of, you know, in a lifetime of reading romance, that's what I'm imagining. Right? Mhm. That that change is possible and equal partnership is possible and that there's, you know, hundreds of thousands of ways for that to play out. Yeah. You know, Caleb and Riley's journey is not your journey. 
but it's a journey. Right, right. What have you loved about, like, what draw, drew you to romance as a reader, I guess, first? And, and then I'll be curious to hear about that as a writer, because you, you haven't always been writing romance. I started reading romance when I was about 10, which is probably on the young end of the spectrum for reading romance. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) I know. I was thinking about that actually with this book. I was like, well, it's about dogs. And I, I couldn't find my copy, like the first copy of the book that you sent me. I couldn't find it. I have this sneaking suspicion that it could have ended up upstairs in my daughter's room because it's about dogs, you know, so (laughs) I should, I should go look a little bit more thoroughly for that probably. Luckily we don't outgrow our love of dogs. Um, So I started young, but I think it, it was piggybacking right off my love of fairy tales. Mm. So I dressed up as Cinderella for Halloween for like almost every Halloween of my childhood. So I loved fairy tales a lot and romance novels seemed to me to be the grown up version of fairy tales. Mm-hmm. And I think you can see a little bit of Cinderella in Cold Nose Warm Heart. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now that you mention it, <laughs> there's even a fairy godmother. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's funny. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but there's no wicked. I'm just trying to think there's no like evil stepmother, really. There's kind of like the absent mother, which maybe mm-hmm. is a little bit, right? Right. There's the absent mother. Um, and I think that I personally don't believe in evil people that are just purely evil. Mm-hmm. And so the Caleb's family is evil. His dad is evil, right, right? Right. But even they have redeeming qualities. Nobody is nobody is the villain in their own story. So they might appear villainous in someone else's story, but they have their reasons. They've made the best choices they can make. Yeah, you know? yeah. So important. So important to recognize because I think that is a part of how we victimize ourselves is by like projecting someone else being evil onto them. Um, as opposed to like looking for, well, what is their, what was their intention? I don't think I've ever done that with a Cinderella story. It's like, well, what, you know, the stepmother, she was just trying to get those dresses made for her daughters. Like she was just, I mean, she did say some pretty cruel shit to uh, Cinderella, you got to admit, but. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. We're not, yeah. No one's at their best all the time. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Yeah. So it, so it being an extension of that, that's what drew you in. And then like, what, what drew you to writing in this genre? I, I've been writing for a long time and I had published a young adult novel many years ago and I was just feeling really frustrated. And, uh, I had written this book that had gotten many, many beautiful, beautiful rejections. And (laughs) I, had done, you know, one more round of revisions and sent it to my agent. And she said, so what are you, you know, what are you going to work on next? And I just started crying. I was like, I don't know. I feel like I've been knocking on this door for so long and it's never going to open again. You know, Mm -hmm. I had my shot and that was it. 
And I said, I can't even stand to read anything right now except romance novels. I'm just binging romance novels like, you know, many, many, many per week. And she said, well, why don't you write a romance novel? And I was like, oh, ha, ha, ha. I'm not going to ruin my one true escapist thing that I can that I do to escape the world. Right. Like this is my that's my hobby. That's my relaxation time. Why would why on earth would I turn that into my job? But she kept talking to me and she convinced me to do it. And that's why I had been avoiding it for all these years was I, I thought if I became a writer of romance, I'm going to read them differently, mm-hmm. you know, more critically, more craft oriented. But what I found is that um, I have the same joy in writing the romance novels that I have in reading them. So I'm, I'm really excited that she pushed me in that direction because writing has become more joyful for me now. Um, I enjoy figuring out the the twists and turns along the way and what made me a, a romance reader is really feeding the romance writing as well. So I've been uh, telling people we get advice as writers all the time to write what you know, which I think is pretty terrible advice um, because we have pretty limited worlds, most of us. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I think write what you love is is very good advice. Mm. Yeah. And that comes through like one, I have to say your skill as a writer comes through in reading the book. Like there were, there was never a place to me that felt like awkwardly worded or, you know, there were, there were places where I could tell that I was like, oh, that's kind of an inside joke or that's, that's, that's Mara being clever. Um, (laughs) And I liked it. I loved it. And um, so your skill as a writer definitely comes through and um, for it being your first book in this genre, like that, like, I think your love of the genre also came through, like you're knowing it backwards and forwards, um, in the way that the, the journey was really easeful for me. I'm glad. Yeah. Okay. Mara, we need to take just a quick break to hear from this week's sponsor. If you are looking for some extra support, around the things that get in the way of your happiness or achieving your goals, one great way you can do that from the comfort of your own home or office or anywhere really is BetterHelp. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can chat via text with your counselor at any time and you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions all without having to go anywhere. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available for those who qualify. They also offer a broad range of expertise so that you can find the person most suited to be helping you with your own unique situation. So whether it's depression, stress, anxiety, your relationship, trauma, anger, family conflicts, whatever is up for you, try out BetterHelp to help you move past the places where you are stuck. To start living a happier life today, you can try BetterHelp and get an extra 10% off your first month as a Relationship Alive listener. Just visit betterhelp.com alive. Join over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash alive. And thanks, BetterHelp, for your support of Relationship Alive podcast. 
Now, let's get back to our conversation with Mara Wells. I have a confession to make, which is that this is the first romance novel that I've ever read cover to cover. Um, uh, there are plenty of romance novels, mostly in my teens, I would say, and you know, early twenties when there was it was really hard to access anything that was remotely erotic or sexual <laughs> um you know where i would skip to i'd find a romance book and i'd skip to the good parts you know that i never i don't know what happened in any of those books i just know that you know who fucked who basically and so um so it was nice actually to like sit down and really enjoy the whole the whole way through um which was it was cool cool to experience that um, what do you think, let's talk about the erotic for, for mm -hmm. a minute, because we're, you know, we're talking about longing and attraction and, um, what is it that fuels eroticism in a romance novel and, um, yeah, makes it compelling in that way? What, something that turns us on? I think it's the longing, mm -hmm. right? I think it is that, that moment of not knowing if you should touch fingers or not, that plays out later in the sex scenes. So that um, the thing that makes the sex scenes very satisfying is tension and longing that lead up to it. So I would say to your younger self who was just skipping to the erotic scenes, like you missed out. <laughs> You missed you missed, oh, the, you missed the part that made yeah that made those scenes more powerful because they are finally a release of this tension and a culmination of this partnership and um, you know that ultimate integration of the opposites. So so I think it's the it's the it's the wanting that makes having satisfying. Mm -hmm. Um, but that said, there are in romance, we call it heat levels. There are varying degrees of heat levels. Um, and so it, it spans from the story ends with kissing, right? That once they kiss, we know that they're going to have their happily ever after. And we never see more than that. Um, that's sort of one end of the spectrum. And on the other end, we have erotica. So and the romance novels fall all along that spectrum of heat. So I will say that when I decided to write romance, I was nervous about that part of it. Uh -huh. <laughs> and I read all over the heat spectrum. I, I enjoy all of it, but I didn't know as a writer where I would, where I would fall comfortably. Yeah. Um, what, um, and so was that just a discovery process for you or did you have yes. a, a target heat level or? I did not have a target heat level. I just thought, well, let's see, let's see how it goes. So I got to the part in the first draft where I knew that I had to write that scene, that scene. And at the time my father was living with us because he had been having some medical problems and I tend to write early in the morning and he's an early riser. And he kept, um, you know, he would wander through the room that I was working in and talk to me. And I was like, oh, I can't. I can't write this scene <laughs> thinking that my dad's going to walk in any moment. Right. I just can't, I can't. <laughs> so I went, <laughs> so I put it off until I had some time and I went to a coffee shop that's in my neighborhood 
And I sat there, I have this couch I like to sit on and I, and I wrote it and uh, I was pretty happy with it. And I, I was feeling very proud. And then I looked up and I'm, you know, sitting in this, this room with music playing surrounded by a bunch of people. And I had been like so much in my own little bubble world there that I like, I just, I just remember feeling so hot. I know I must've blushed like dark, dark red. <laughs> and I, I texted my friend, Kate Ballinger, who's been a really beautiful, wonderful mentor for me on this romance journey. And I was like, so I just wrote my first sex scene in a coffee shop and I don't know how I feel about that. And she texts back, welcome to romance landia. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to find yourself writing them in lots of places. <laughs> so. That's so funny. And yeah. even like the, like for me, I mean, I think about like kind of what, what runs through our head potentially when we're at a coffee shop. So there's like that level and, and even kind of the beautiful aspect of like your father walking through the room or that fear of like, like what that's like to feel like how many parents of young children are like trying to find time to be sexual, but, <laughs> but you know, the kids could like bust in at any moment, you know, and you're like in the bathroom with the shower on and the door locked and hoping that, you know, they don't pound for too long. Cause that would be like child abuse, right? If they like, can't get in. To... So, uh, you know, never been there. So, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's some of the real life, aspects of it as well are there in terms of determining the heat level is that about language or like yeah it's about sort of specificity uh-huh and so i think um that i landed in a in a heat level that i i this is not a technical term but i call soft focus so we have some idea of what's going on but i haven't you know really zeroed in on every every breath every touch, right? It's kind of a, I, I picture sort of the camera pulled back and we got kind of a fuzzy lens on. Um, right. Which leaves some up to the imagination. Yes. Yes. And so you can go <clears throat> less heat than that, where it's even more fuzzy, I guess you could say. And then other novels get much steamier mm. and more uh, specific in what's going on. Yeah, I actually have another friend that someone that I've known even longer than I've known you who writes. I wonder I should I should chat with her. I, I, she might consider it a more erotica than romance, but it's all based around aliens. So it's like people having mm -hmm. sex with aliens. Um, and um, I imagine you have to get fairly explicit and it still leaves a lot up to the imagination once you're dealing with like <laughs> alien body parts. Um, I'm, and I'm taken back. I, I actually want to just mention that I feel somewhat vulnerable and laid bare with that um, talking to the young part of me and um, and how... And that is interesting for me to just like kind of sit with in this moment, that sense of like how much what fuels attraction and and those like maybe moments of culmination where you're actually being you're kissing someone or you're being sexual with someone. Um, how much of that is the longing, the tension that leads up to that moment. And um, and this is like a classic um, challenge for, you know, and it's not really necessarily a gendered thing, but some people are just like sexual and they don't actually need all of that buildup 
they just mm-hmm. they're able to like talk about sex think about sex and then like let's have sex um versus like there are other people who are more focused in the tension the build-up the longing and that just needs to be there in order for there to be fuel for the actual um coming together so to speak to um to be desirable um you don't get there without the the tension and the longing Mm -hmm. for those people and then what happens when you're in a long-term relationship right right that tension and and longing has been satisfied right then what fuels desire yeah then i end the book so (laughs) the rest is for you to figure out right (laughs) right i don't have to figure that out that's that's yeah, that's why those characters become secondary and tertiary characters, right? You just mm-hmm. get to assume that they're doing whatever it takes to make that happen. Yeah, but that is, right, the the big challenge of of any long-term relationship is how do you how do you fuel passion and juice and so often, you know, this falls into what we were talking about a few moments ago where like people land in different places um and uh, it's very common for someone who needs tension and longing to end up with someone who doesn't. And so how do you, how do you do that? How do you, how do you cross worlds? Um, and it's, it's a challenge for both people to figure out. Um, cause sometimes that person who needs the tension and longing, it's, it's helpful for them to figure out like, what do I need to do in order to show up? So I can just be, um, in a sexual experience with my partner that didn't require, um, you know, sexy texts for three days to get us to this moment. <laughs> um, and, and vice versa, like where the, you know, the zero to 60 in, you know, 0.3 seconds partner can be like, all right, what do I need to do to like, like what does get my partner in the mood? What, what helps them, what helps fuel their desire so that they'll meet me there. Um, Cause it's so easy for me. It may not be for them. And that's, it's actually not a problem with them. It's just how they're wired. They're wired differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the romance answer to that is both people are right. Mm-hmm. And the relationship is about negotiating that. Yeah. You know, how do you, how do you accept that about your partner and integrate that into your life together? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I like that for a real life answer as well, that both people (laughs) are actually right. And, and so if both people are right, what does that mean? That forces us to get creative Mm -hmm. as opposed to making the other person wrong and then forcing them to, to change, which was like, that was one of the very first things we were talking about forcing them yeah. to change being like not the most sustainable approach <laughs> yeah if you want to stay together if you're looking for a way to break up it's probably fairly efficient <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah but uh this also makes me think about um you know romance has had a history of readers being shamed for their reading choices mm And I think, you know, in the past few years, the conversation has really changed where romance writers are pushing back and saying, what's shameful about female desire? What's shameful about fantasy? Right? 
like why why do we call it a guilty pleasure why can't we just call it a pleasure yeah to read and i think um that that extends beyond reading choices i think that in relationships as well you can't have a guilty pleasure or a you know a secret desire that you're keeping from your partner and have that that work out long term yeah so i think part of romance is job is to take the shame out of whatever desire people feel because again ultimately that happily ever after is guaranteed and so and the partners have to accept each other exactly for who they are so whatever is revealed over the course of the novel is accepted and loved and isn't that a a beautiful thing to think about yeah in the world as well yeah definitely Definitely. Um, yeah, I hadn't really thought about that. There's, I mean, there is that place where, and shame is kind of the, the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Shame is the challenge of someone who maybe is a little kinky where something being a secret or being taboo is, does fuel them, does create a little bit of charge and juice for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and and shame is kind of the shadow of that like the potential mm-hmm. for it to for it to feel shameful because most people aren't turned on when they're feeling shame they're they're um looking for a way to escape from that feeling of shame so right. um yeah i hadn't really that hadn't occurred to me that romance in and of itself could be a way to um reduce the shame that people feel around different kinds of desire and and as a way of experiencing differences as being acceptable and accepted Mm -hmm. yeah no wonder i liked your book so much (laughs) yeah i think it's instructive like as i was reading it maybe because there are aspects of it that are um like when you read it, like, you know, like I knew, okay, this is like, this is when I can see it coming. Like this is when they're going to kiss for the first time. And it's like, so even the knowing there's, there was something about it that, um, yeah, I feel like in this moment could actually be more instructive for a person to read than reading a book that talks about, how you might need tension in order to fuel longing in a in and you might need tension and wanting and desire and like it's enough to know that that's true but then to actually read a romance novel i think it gives you a sense of how that actually plays out and how that works and, right and do you know that they're going to kiss and you can feel that kiss coming and it's that anticipation doesn't ruin the fact that they're going to kiss right it sweetens it And so you keep reading, not because you're like, maybe they're not going to kiss, but because they are, and you want to see how it goes down. Yeah. Right. Because every first kiss is different and every, right. Every moment, every intimate moment that people share together, there might be, you know, certain moves or phrases that various scenes have in common, but ultimately every moment is unique. Right. And that's what draws us to it. And it's not, um, I don't know, it's not. It's predictable, but not in the negative sense of that word. It's predictable in that sense of anticipation way. 
Right, right. That phrase, how's this going to go down? Like that actually <laughs> came up for me several times as I was reading where I was like, all right, how's this going to like, I know that something this is going to work itself out somehow or this like I know this twist or I know there's a twist coming. What's it going to be like? How's that? How's that going to go down? Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it really kept me engaged as as a reader. And uh, I loved escaping for um yeah, it was the better part of, I guess it was most of a day and then like the day before where I was uh, like a half of the day before where I was just like, that's the privilege of being able to read as part of my living is that I could just, I could just set a day aside um, to mm-hmm. do that. Um, it felt good. Yeah. I might've said a guilty pleasure, um, but I'm not going to say that anymore. <laughs> Don't say that anymore. There's nothing <laughs> guilty about it. Yeah. Uh I just heard a statistic that romance readers read four times as many books as um, other types of readers. So I think you can see the you got you got a little taste of what what drives that market. Yeah, yeah. I guess I did. Right. Um, what what surprised you about your book? What as you were writing it, knowing that you know, knowing that there's a form to the to the genre. Mm. What? Yeah. Well, one of the, this is, this isn't always true again, but my book is in a fairly standard point of view, which is alternating between the hero and the heroine third person close. Mm -hmm. And I had never written a male point of view before. Wow. I just decided to. And so I think that I was surprised all along the way at how much, um, how much Caleb had to say. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and sort of his attitudes. And I mean, I guess it shouldn't be surprising because obviously he came out of my mind, but it's like, oh, he's just a person too. There's nothing scary about writing a male point of view. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But the thing that absolutely surprised me is in the first scene where we meet Riley's grandmother and and I found out that she's still in love with her ex-husband because I thought they were just like straight up enemies. Mm. Um, that I hadn't been planning on, but then it turned into sort of a delightful thread in the book that, um, yeah, I enjoyed, I enjoyed writing the, uh, yeah. the senior citizen romance quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, these this is one of those things where I'm like for you listening, it's so hard for me to not do any spoilers or plot reveals here because there <laughs> there are so many beautiful moments that I would be sharing with you right now, Mara, um because I just loved how they how they went how they went down and um and and also some of the because it, it's not all sweetness, right? There's a lot of sarcasm. There's a lot of mm-hmm. people kind of digging each other in ways that are are affectionate, but also quite like cutting at times. And um, but all the whole way along, I felt like very uplifted at the same time that people were being really honest with each other. And so I think that the temptation and being like, oh, this is a romance novel that's like the fantasy of romance is to feel like the interactions somehow aren't don't feel real. But I didn't feel that way at all as I was reading. Like, in fact, um, you know, you're talking about Caleb's um, point of view, the male point of view. 
that's another place where it felt very seamless to me where I was never like, oh, I would never like as a guy, I would never think that like everything he was thinking. I was like, yeah, of course. Like, that's exactly what I would be thinking in that moment. <laughs> that's funny. What you were saying about the conversations feeling real and the interactions it was it reminded me of something that the writer Richard Peck said in a workshop that I took with him one time. He said, if you're going to have a ghost in the scene, you better describe the wallpaper. <laughs> When you have a fantasy, when you have a fantasy element, you have to like the real world of the story has to be absolutely grounded. Mm. And I think that that a happily ever after isn't believable if everything has gone smoothly and people are all sweet and nice to each other for the whole thing. That doesn't right. That doesn't feel real. Yeah. So the the satisfaction of the happily ever after is that it did feel real and they had real problems and um and yet somehow managed to transcend that to be together. Yeah, that's, I think, what part of what makes it in inspiring is that it feels real along the way. Yep, and yeah. I do describe wallpaper. <laughs> I describe the building a lot, so. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> now that you mention it, yes, that is my, true. A great love of South Beach architecture comes through, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And that I felt, I felt like I was there, even though I've only been there like once or twice in my life, but it was very vivid and, but not in a burdensome way. Um, some people really get off on reading a lot of scene and setting stuff. And that I am not one of those people. I'm like, give me the, what's happening, you know? Okay. Enough. There's, there's some flowers. What's happening? You know, <laughs> I thought you balanced that really well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Mara Wells, congratulations on your first book being out and and our understanding is that it's doing really well. I saw a lot of really good reviews on Amazon. It's called Cold Nose, Warm Heart. Uh, if someone wants to find out more about you and what you're doing, what do they do? Where do they go? They can go to my website, marawellsauthor.com, and sign up for the newsletter. And then I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Awesome. And how many, how many books are, are coming out in this series, at least as far as we know at the moment? As far as we know at the moment, there's three. So book two is called Tale for Two. It comes out in July. And Pause for Love comes out March 2021. Awesome. Congratulations. Yeah, Thank I'm, so I'm really much. excited for you. And actually, before, like, we got to address the dog thing for a minute. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, um, first, why dogs? Like, why did you personally make that choice to bring dogs into the, into the mix? Well, my mother was a dog breeder, so I grew up with the dogs um, as part of the family. And I've had dogs my adult life, all my adult life. And I just... I've been thinking a lot about the relationships we have with animals, especially our pets, and how they're not humans, right? They aren't humans, but they are still part of our lives, really important part of our lives and, and part of our families, um, but they don't speak and they don't act human. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so it's this weird, I'm sort of just fascinated by the the interspecies aspect of it and um, and how passionately we can feel for dogs because because they aren't complicated human beings with other 
motives going on that we don't know about. They're just sort of love. And if I'm going to write a romance novel in which unconditional love is an important part, who better to model that for us than dogs? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's hilarious. I hadn't really even considered this until this moment, but um, you know this. And, and actually, a lot of my listeners know that like part of what led me to relationship work was my prior life as a dog trainer. So <laughs> so we both have that, actually, which I hadn't I hadn't even really thought about a lot. But and part of that journey for me was that very thing that you just mentioned about how much dogs are about heart and expression of heart energy. And um, so that was something that I I really appreciated in the book. Um, the dogs and their um, their heart and their personality, they wove in in ways that also seemed very authentic. And um, and I liked that with like what you you just described it beautifully, like the way that they're woven into the fabric of who we are. Um, it felt natural. It felt more um, like there was more texture really for me in in what I was reading because those beings were included as well. Thank you. Yeah. Funny. What an interesting thing that we have in common there. <laughs> yeah. And um, and the do- so it's a series that revolves around a dog park. Yes. Um, yeah. What's what keeps that interesting? <laughs> well, there's, <laughs> there's an, an an infinite number of dogs and the people attached to them who can come through the dog park. So it gives me a very rich um, tapestry to pull from, I guess, of characters for upcoming novels. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I think it's sort of a, a pre-test of people. You know, if you have a dog, then you love the dog and the dog loves you. So you're sort of pre-approved as a decent person Mm. deserving of a novel, perhaps. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. So yeah, I, I was looking for some sort of, um, you know, premise that has the potential for new people to be coming and going. Yeah. And uh, when we first moved to South Beach, the first place that we made friends was at the dog park. Yeah. Yeah. And so, we, you know, the first parties we went to in South Beach were hosted by people we met at the dog park. And so I know that it's a very fluid and welcoming community. Yeah. Yeah. And you you point out well in the book the ways that um, when you know people that way, there's so much that you don't know about them. Right. Because generally you have those conversations that are about your dogs and things that impact your dogs. Mm-hmm. But um, and I, I like that um, that uncovering that happens in your book about how those people also kind of get to know each other in a more deep way. Um mm-hmm which is really sweet to follow. And um, so funny in real life when you're like, yeah, I've been like hanging out with you for three years and I don't know anything about you. Um, I've had those Mm -hmm. conversations with people before, you know, where it's just like, yeah, we were dog park friends. And and then uh, here in, in Portland, Maine, where I live, we had like this dog park that was known all over. There were some um, national public radio stories about it 
I think it was very early in like the dog park era that this dog park existed. But unfortunately, it was also in a historic old cemetery. So the people who were like the preservationists of the cemetery and maybe like the big wealthy houses that surrounded the cemetery at at a certain point decided that they didn't like hundreds of people showing up there with their dogs. (laughs) Um, So that actually went away there there are other dog parks in this town that i haven't explored but that used to be such a community center um so i think anyone who has a dog um who's done the dog park thing will totally relate to that as well yep yeah well mara thank you so much for being here with us today on relationship alive this was like definitely outside of my wheelhouse to have a conversation (laughs) like this um versus like you know going straight at someone's relationship advice but um this is this is like good stuff for for all uh for all relationships i'm really glad that that you came on the show and um for the joy of reading your book as well as the instructiveness of reading your book i i hope people (laughs) check you you out yeah thank you this was really fun thank you for inviting me on your show you're welcome Thank you for listening to another episode of Relationship Alive. If you like what you've heard and want to make it easier for other people to find out about us, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast and to rate and review us on iTunes. If you have questions or comments or want to continue the conversation, you can always join our Relationship Alive community Facebook group. And for more information about today's episode, visit us online at neilsatin.com slash podcast. Or you can always text the word passion, P-A-S-S-I-O-N, to the number 33444 for more information. Finally, do you have a burning question that you're hoping we can have answered here on Relationship Alive, either for a future or past guest? Let me know and I'll see what I can do. Take care and see you next time.